How you doing today, Reliance Church? You good? good? Praise the Lord. That's what I love to hear. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. If you want to open your Bibles there, Colossians chapter 3. We, uh, we begin our, our uh, fourth part of Colossians chapter 3 today, and uh, we will likely have a fifth part less, next week, uh, and uh, that should be it. We'll, we'll, we're guaranteed to have part five next week, but uh, I think that'll just about cover chapter 3. It's amazing. There's so much stuff. Chapter 3 is rich uh, with information, and so we're in part four, Colossians chapter 3. As you're making your way there, I'll tell you a story by way of introduction uh, about an experience we had in 1993. Um, we uh, are, are family friends with, uh, with another Christian family. They were actually helping us in the planting of our first church, and their young daughter was born um, with uh, with a severe complication in that her kidneys were malfunctioning. They were actually working in reverse. And so your kidneys, the job there is to flush out the impurities in your body. And her kidneys were in fact flushing impurities into her body. And so very rare condition and the only treatment for it uh, was to remove her kidneys. And so here you had this little girl, this, this, this beautiful little girl born, had to have her kidneys surgically removed. And of course that committed her to a, a, a lifelong process of dialysis, which is, which is a really painful and difficult uh, process, and, um, and so it doesn't make for a good quality of life, and, and it actually will, will dramatically shorten your life, and so uh, she needed a, a kidney transplant. Well, her match was so ridiculously hard that it was like finding a needle in a haystack. The transplant specialist at Loma Linda actually used that phrase to say, it, you know, finding a match for her is like finding a needle in a haystack. So we, you know, all sorts of people, we were just trying to get people to get their blood tested to see if they would be a match to donate a kidney um, for this little girl. And so all of us went down to have our blood tested. Are we a match for this little girl? And so I went in and, uh, and, and, uh, the gal, I fill out the, the forms there, and we have to meet with a counselor there at, uh, at the hospital, and she says, now you understand, I mean, donating a kidney is, is, is a big deal. You've got, you, your body has two kidneys, so, you know, it's, it's you, your body can, your other kidney, if you are a match, you could function, but, you know, it, if something happens to that kidney, you'll be in a place where you don't have kidney. Yes, we understand that. They just want to make sure you're, you're ready for this. Okay, now go down to the lab, get your blood drawn. So we take the slip of paper, go down to the lab, and uh, 15, 20 of us, whatever, and they call me up, and uh, she says, uh, Mr. Leavenworth, I, I see you're here to donate blood for, uh, for a potential organ transplant. I said, yes, I am. And uh, she, she looks at it, and she said, okay, um, are you donating blood to donate a kidney, or are you donating a liver? And I said, well, considering you can't live without your liver, I think I'm here to donate a kidney. And, you know, I thought about that later. And, and as I thought about it later, I thought, this is a child. I mean, it really shouldn't matter if, the, if they wanted the liver or the kidney. I mean, if it was my child, I would be like, you can have my liver, you can have my kidney, you can have my heart, you can have my brain, not that they would profit from it, but whatever, you know, whatever they need, right? I mean, that's the thing. And, and as parents, we're like that. As parents, our, our attitude is to say, whatever my child needs, well, I, that's what I would give to my child. I would, I would walk through fire for my child. I would willingly give 
my life, my child. Now, I use this story by way of introduction because today Paul's going to address the subject of being sanctified in our parenting. Here in Colossians chapter 3, he's going through this issue of, hey, you know, what is it to be set apart? That's what sanctified means. What is it to be set apart to God in your life? And what he basically says here in chapter 3 is, listen, as children of God, you have the, the, the hope of eternal life. You're saved. And you also have the hope that you will return with Christ in glory. You will be glorified together with Christ. But he says, you know, effectively, in the middle, you've got the rest of your life. And in the rest of your life, you have to live a life that's separated to God, that's separated from sin. And that's really the big idea of this whole chapter. And so he's talking about how we are called to live lives separated from the sinful world, separated unto God. And that's what he's exploring here is all the multitude ways that we live this sanctified life, this separated life. And so last week we looked at what it is to be living a sanctified life, a separated life unto God in our marriages. And today what Paul's going to talk about is how to live a sanctified life to God in our parenting. How am I set apart to God in our parenting? And so we're going to look at an intensely practical lesson today. Now let me say this, and this is really important. Um, in verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3, and this was my caveat last week, and I, and I just pray you listen, hear this with me. Colossians chapter 16 tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, we have a responsibility as Christians, to let the word of Christ dwell in us and to have a command of it in the sense that we can teach one another and admonish one another. And so some of you here today, I recognize as we talk about parenting, you maybe are past that season of life. Some of you today, you say, I'm out of that season of life, and, and, and so, you know, what's this got to do with me? Well, you need to be equipped because... Your role as a Christian is to be prepared to teach and admonish others and to encourage others. And so all of us play an intricate role in the body of Christ of, of equipping one another. Some of you, you're not a parent yet, but you will be, and so you need to hear this information so that you're trained and equipped. And during first service, the Lord gave me a word, uh, and, and I, I shared it with the congregation, that there was actually somebody there in, in the church, in the service, first service, that um, was, did not have children and God was calling them uh, to become uh, a, a, an adoptive parent. Uh, and, and I said, so, you know, for, and the, it wasn't prior to that, that this, this morning God just spoke to that person. Uh, and, and, and I know that was a word from the Lord that, hey, listen, you're not a parent, but guess what? You just heard all this information about how to be an effective parent, how to raise a godly child, and that's because God has a calling on your life. He wants you to serve in an adoptive capacity or in a foster capacity. And so maybe that's you here this morning. Whatever the case is, whatever your season of life, this is important information. And so we're going to look at how to be practically, sacrificially, and effectively set apart to God, sanctified to God in our parenting. You guys ready? Okay, <laughs> all right, Colossians chapter 3, verse, verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord, and I might add, it's well-pleasing to mom and dad, amen? 
I mean, it is well-pleasing when my kids are, are obedient to the Lord. And I, have the, I can't read this verse without thinking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming obediently to give his life as a ransom for many. And as he's baptized there in the Jordan and he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends and the voice of God booms from heaven, says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well-pleased. There is nothing more pleasing to God than a life lived in obedience to him. And so children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, that word obey that Paul uses here in verse 20, it's one of only a few verses in the Bible that is addressed specifically to children. And, and, you know, direct, it's expressed directly to children. It's, you know, Exodus 20, Ephesians 6, here in Colossians 3. And they're all related. Every time that the Bible speaks directly to children, it relates to obedience. Now, I want you to think about that. Of all the things that God the Father could say to children, he says one thing. Obey your parents, right? Obey. And, and, and the thing is, is that teaching kids to obey is foundational to everything else. Because the Christian life hinges on obedience. The psalmist declares, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? But teaching them to obey, well, that's the trick, isn't it? I mean, we as parents, we say, yeah, I mean, it'd be great. My children, my children should obey. That would be awesome. How do I go about doing it? That's a whole nother kettle of fish, man. I, I took my family on vacation to Hawama Beach. If you've never been there, it's in northern Santa Barbara. It's awesome. We, we go there a lot, uh, a lot when the kids were younger. And uh, it's one of the few sections of beach in California where you can walk for two or three hours and not see another person. It's beautiful. And so we're there, and there's a you know, great campground. And I brought my dog, Bentley. Now, Bentley at the time, he was, I don't know, eight months old, a year old maybe. And, and Bentley, he's, he's this cool little dog, man. He's like, I mean, you think a Lady in the Tramp. He's kind of like that, only he's smaller. And uh, a cool dog. So I, I brought him, first time we'd, we'd had him out. And I take him down to the beach, and I, and I had him on the leash. And I unhooked the leash. And, and I swear if he could have talked, he would have looked at me and said, you're a fool. And then he ran, man. He was gone. And it was the, st- I mean, I'm chasing after this dog. I look like an idiot. I'm running after this little dog, and he's just going for it, man. Smile from ear to ear. I ran for like a mile chasing this dog. I'm not kidding. And, and all the while, he's just becoming a dot on the horizon <laughs> until he completely went out of sight. He was gone, just flat gone. And I'm thinking, I'm running, I'm like, oh my God, you got to help me here. What am I going to say to my wife? I just lost her dog, you know? <laughs> Crazy. So, so I, I, I'm, I get maybe, seriously, like a mile and a half down the beach. And Bentley, you know, he's just somewhere along the line. He was like, shiny thing. Started to turn around, he got running the other direction. So now he's running towards me. I'm like, okay, how do I get this done? Dive, just grab, I mean, seriously, dove in the sand, just barely caught his collar, caught the dog. Can I tell you, that is the last time that I ever took that dog off a leash. I, he's never been off a leash since when I take him outside. The dog's eight years old. I mean, we put him in the backyard, we got fences. 
This is the issue of obedience. And, and what happens is, when you think about Bentley, now I, wanna, I want you to think about your kids. Because with your kids, man, we, 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 tr- we basically try to do the same thing with our kids. You know, we, we, we lock them in. We put li- the little door thingies on the, on the doorknob so they can't turn the doorknobs. I got my grandkids, a couple of my grandkids living with me right now because uh, their father's deployed and all of my doorknobs now at the, at the house. Or, or, you know, they have the little, they're hard for me to get out. I'm like, how do I get this thing? And then every cabinet, we've got baby proofed, you know, it's, it's like, and save your stuff because, you know, you get through and you think we're done with the baby stuff and then you sell it all and then you have grandkids and you have to buy it all again. And now I've got two cribs, not just one. And I've got all this paraphernalia. And so you go, you go through all this and we try and protect our kids. But here's the point. You can't lock them up forever. I mean, I can lock up my dog forever. But, I, but the dog lives better than all of us. He eats better than all of us. Don't think, oh, that poor dog. He's spoiled rotten. But, but your kids, they grow up, man. You can't keep them locked up forever. You just can't. And you might want to, but you can't. And I always tell the parents this. When we do parenting classes here at the church, um, and, and I'll, one of the things I'll say up front is, listen, you, you've got, how many of you have kids like, you know, 13 or under? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, so I'm, I'm, again, like last week, I'm preaching to the right crowd. You know that satisfaction that you get when you lock that door at night and you know you got your kids right there at home, right? That's right, they're, they're, they're in my house, my door is locked, they're under my domain, they're under my control. I'm here to tell you, I, I, I've been married 28 years, I have three children, all grown, become adults, having children of their own. There comes a day when you, dad, go and lock your door and your kids are outside, they're not inside. And that is a freaky day, my friend. That's a freaky day because you've just taken your kids completely off of that leash and out they are, you know? And I always say that up front because I'm like, listen, you need to understand the criticality of teaching your children to obey because the time is coming when when you ain't got no more control. And you go from being this guy that can, you know, be this, uh, it's kind of like this sporting analogy when our kids are first learning sports before they're in the team or whatever, we can stop and we work on the fundamentals with them and we can say, no, no, we got to work on your throwing. No, we got to work on your hitting and we can isolate and we can correct them right in the middle of it. But as they grow, it's kind of like they get in the game of life and pretty soon you get relegated to the, the coach and you can't step in and say, no, you're swinging wrong. You, you're, you're, in, you're on the sidelines shouting in. You know, hey, you know, keep your eye on the wall or whatever. Uh, maybe occasionally you can call a timeout and it just goes on from there. They begin to, to go out. And so this, this issue of obedience, man, it's critically important. And here's the deal. You know that obedience is critically important because if you look at our society, it's going to hell in a handbasket, man. People have, the obedience has so long ago gone by the wayside where our kids are concerned. I mean, I was just doing a little bit of research on, the, on this subject. You could just get lost in, in all the, the, the data. But here's one thing that stood out to me. According to a 1997 U.S. Department of Education study, they found that 36% of public high school teachers reported moderate to severe drug use among their students. 
And 57% of these same high school teachers, public high school teachers, reported moderate to severe discipline problems, listen to this, including rape, sexual battery, assault with a deadly weapon, robbery, larceny, and drug, drug trafficking. 57% have experienced this. Now, here's the thing. This data is from the U.S. Department of Education. Nobody's cooked the books. This is, this is from the Department of Education. And the, the last data that they had prior to this was in 1991, which was six years prior to this. And that data reflected that, that from 1991 to 1997, when this study was done, a six-year period of time, that there was a 16% increase in the statistics that I just shared with you. Now, here's the freaky part. This 1997 study is 16 years ago, right? So we in trouble, man. I mean, we got an issue with obedience. And you think, well, yeah, okay, but my kids, they're not, <laughs> they're not drug trafficking. They're not, you know, raping anybody. No, but this is the world that you're going to release your kids into. We really need to teach our kids how to obey, how to have within them a, a moral compass to be able to, to steer their life. So it's, so it's aboundingly important. Uh, and, and again, you don't even have to read the government study. Go to a restaurant, watch people with their kids. Stop it, or I'll say stop it again, or I'll say stop it again, you know, and doesn't that frustrate you? It drives me crazy, and people yelling at their kids. Teach them to obey for crying out loud. So so the issue here, Paul says, and I want you to note it because we're going to beat this like a drum. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. See, what Paul does is he takes this issue of parenting and this takes this idea that, hey, God wants one thing from your kids. Teach them to obey. And then he links it to the fathers, inextricably linked to the fathers. Hey, fathers, make sure you get this. Do not provoke your children. Now that word provoke, you might want to circle it. Nearby you could write this. You could write the word exasperate. That's the idea of that word. And there's many ways that we as fathers exasperate our children. And let me just say this real quickly before I expand on that. When, he, when he's addressing fathers, you need to hearken back to the message from last week. Because remember last week what we talked about is the, the headship of the, the husband in the marriage role. That God has created the man to, to be the head of the woman in the marriage relationship. Those of you that missed the message last week, you're going to freak out over that perhaps because we live in an egalitarian society where we insist on the equality of all. Men and women are equal, but they have different roles. Listen to the message. But basically what Paul says here when he addresses the fathers is kind of building on that. What he's talking about is, look, dad, you're the head. You're, you're the head of the marriage relationship, which makes you the head of the home, which makes you the head of the kids. And what this means, wives, is that you and your husband have complementary roles. And so when God addresses fathers here, that doesn't let you gals off the hook. You have a complementary role in this. We'll get more into that in just a little bit. So this, this idea, this word provoke, it's, it's the word, really, the, the, the attitude, the idea is exasperating your kids. There's a bunch of different ways that we exasperate the kids, and I just want to explore kind of the two most predominant ways with you. There are others, certainly. Um, this idea of exasperating your kids, it doesn't mean that if you discipline your kids and they become upset uh, that, you know, you've, and you've provoked them perhaps, that, that that's what it's talking about. I've disciplined my kids, they're upset, they're crying, and now I've just, you know, violated this, you know, scripture, Colossians 3.21, do not provoke your kids. It's not saying that. 
It's not saying that at all because here's the thing. When <laughs> no discipline seems pleasant at the time, the Bible says. And, and so when you go through discipline, you know, it, it's painful. You squawk. Your kids are going to complain. Um, and, and here's what I used to tell my kids all the time when I was raising them. I'm not after your happiness. I'm after your holiness. And, and if I l- raise you to, to live a life that's separated under God, the happiness will come. But if I seek the happiness in your life, if I seek to make you happy in everything, I'm going to raise a monster. And that's what our society is, is, is experiencing right now. So many people, their kid, you know, here he is, he's King Farouk, and everything just fall down and worship King Farouk. He becomes the idol of the house. And it's, and it's destructive and it's harmful. So this idea, you know, of provoking doesn't mean that you're not going to make your kids upset when you discipline them. You will. No, here's, here's the first idea. The first idea of not provoking your kids is that you treat your children with loving tenderness. So many times, you know, fathers, mothers too, we, can, we, we go to extremes. And we do this in every aspect of our life. We, ha- we have a tendency to live our lives towards the extremes. Very few people have a balance in their lives. And so you're either a total permissive parent who, who is basically absentee and, and you know, not around and, and all, and, and, and there's that parent that has its own unique set of problems, or you're a total power trip parent that comes down on your kids and every little thing, and, and you overwhelm them. And, and, and so the, the, the first thing that you can do if you want to not exasperate your kids in that way, man, treat them with loving tenderness. Um, Jesus, speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 11, he said this. He said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. That's the key, humble, gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus uses this example of a yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. I'm humble and I'm gentle. Now, a yoke is the thing that connected the ox to the cart or the ox to the plow or whatever the, the, the purpose that the ox was serving. And the yoke, you couldn't just take any old yoke and stick that, that harness on that animal. Every animal is unique and different, and it requires a custom-made yoke. And so what they would do is, they, and they still do this today, that when you're going to yoke an animal, it has to be custom-made. It has to be fit for that animal. And, and there's a lot of things we can transfer from this. One of the things that we need to transfer from this is that every child is different. Now, don't confuse. That's not to say that we don't hold to the standard. We do hold to the standard. But the methods that we use in our parenting, certain varying degrees, is going to vary. And so just as the yoke has to be fit, Jesus says, you know, that the yoke that, 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 uh, the yoke that we employ has to fit. It has to be tailored. But he says, my yoke, it's humble and it's gentle. And so if you don't want to exasperate your children, treat them in gentleness, in humility, and, and, and be, be caring and, and, and make sure that that, that, that is, is incorporated into your parenting. The, the second thing that I would tell you in terms of this idea of exasperating your kids, and this is the one I'm really going to dial into, hugely applicable for our time here today, is that your expectations, your rules, and your discipline needs to be consistent. 
It needs to be consistent. There's nothing that exasperates a child more than when they don't know where the line is or the line is constantly changing. It depends on your mood or it's just, you know, there's, you, you, you laugh about something, you laugh about something and then they make you mad and then you discipline them for the same thing you've been laughing at or whatever the case may be. We need to be careful that, that our expectations, our rules and our discipline are clearly articulated and that, that they're very carefully understood by the child. See, because if, if your line is always changing, if your punishment's all over the map, you're going to exasperate your kid. And so again, we're going to dig in here. I'm going to put this point on the screen. I encourage you to write it down. Here it is, that you have to, as a parent, have a plan for parenting. You have to have a plan for parenting. Now, let me just tell you this up front. I'm going I'm to throw a bunch of stuff to you, and I'm just going to share with you based on the plan that I had. And, and I'm not saying my plan is perfect or anything of that nature, but I will say that, that I'm, I've been married 28 years. I've raised three children. They're all adults. They're all walking with the Lord, uh, gainfully employed, uh, hardworking, having children of their own. Uh, it worked for me. That's all I can say. So I, I'm, I'm going to share with you some biblical truth and some practical applications of that truth, and, and you, t- you take what works for you. And the other thing I would say is that I, I wrote a blog about this, and we posted it last night at midnight, and so it's up on our, our if you go to our, our webpage, it's on the homepage, just click on blog, and, and the first one up is the blog I wrote that corresponds with this message, um, and at the bottom of that, of that article, there are links, and those links are the, are the specific things that I'll be talking about today. They're tools that you can use. Take them, read them, personalize them, if indeed you think that this is worthwhile information. All right, you guys ready? Practical stuff, you have to have a plan for parenting. Hey, a plan. It's been said if you fail to plan, plan to fail. And so we need to have a plan for our parenting. Super important. So many people, they come into to, to parenting and they approach it, just sort of fly by the seat of your pants. And there was a movie many years ago where basically the, the character says, you know, you need to have a license to drive, you even have to have a license to fish, but they'll give, they'll give anybody a kid. Anybody can have a kid. And it's true, anybody can have a kid. And so many times we, we put more effort and more work into studying to get our driver's license than we do into studying to be a good parent. Or we just, be, we just fall into a role that our parent was in, or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and, and the Bible says that the, 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 the sins of the fathers, you know, they, they, they pass on. Right, and they, they go on to multiple generations. That's paraphrased, but that's basically what it says. And this is one of the ways that it does that that we fail to really become you know those that would have a, a plan. We just sort of do what our dad did, and that's great if you had a good father. But so many people didn't, and we fall into to destructive patterns. Um, we're sinners. We're fallen people. We have sinful habits, so we need to have a plan for our parenting. First one sub point of that, if you want a plan for parenting, training. Write it down. Training. This is where you read. This is where you take classes. This is where you attend workshops. Can I just tell you, we have extensive reading book materials that we recommend and, and will recommend to you and, and that you, you can take. We offer regular parenting classes here at the church. Uh, it's not a commercial for that, but it is to say if you want to be a good parent, these are the things that you'll do. Brenda and I, we read a ton of books on parenting. We attended a lot of classes on parenting, a lot of workshops on parenting. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. The Bible says this in Proverbs 19.20, get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. Again, Proverbs 12.1 says this, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. I love this. But he who hates correction is stupid. 
right? So, so listen, there is wisdom to be had. You need to have a plan for parenting. The first thing is get some training. Second point, be discipled. Discipleship, key point. Now, a disciple is a learner, okay? And to be a learner, that implies that you have a teacher. And that's the idea of discipleship, that if you're going to be discipled as a parent, then it's a good idea that you find somebody that you can learn from. And here's what Brenda and I did. We would seek out those people that were good parents. And guess how we figured out they were good parents? We looked at their kids. I mean, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, man. You're going you're gonna to want to figure it out. Hey, if I want to find a good parent, I'm going to look for good kids. And that's what we would do. Um, Proverbs uh, uh, says this, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. If you find somebody who's a good parent, they can sharpen you. Again, Proverbs 20:18 says, "Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel, counsel wage war." And can I just tell you, it is a war, isn't it? It's a battle being a good parent. It's a it's a daily battle. Some of you are like, "You came to church today. You had a war this morning coming to church with your kids, right?" Seriously, I mean, just support me in this. How many have had a war with your kids this morning? Coming to, you know, yeah, right? Okay, it's a war, so you need wise counsel. So, so here's what I would say to that. Very practical advice, and it's, it, it, my great-grandfather used to say, advice is cheap and it's worth the price. But here, this is, this is worth the price of admission today. Just write this down. Find those people who are in the next season of life that have done a good job with their kids and ask them if you can go have lunch with them. Ask them, you can go have coffee with them and drill them with questions. What did you do? And so Brenda and I would do that. When our kids were in kindergarten, we found those parents who had kids that, that were in elementary school that were doing a good job. When they were in elementary school, we had those parents who were in middle school who had good middle schoolers. When they were middle schoolers, we found the high school parents. Ask them, what on earth did you do? Because it's brilliant. It's working out. And so we would ask. And, and it's kind of like, you know, years ago, I went shopping for a, for a motorhome. God, I wish I would have had somebody tell me what a fool that was. But anyway, I went shopping for a motorhome, and, my, and the salesman come up, and my wife is, is asking him a million questions. And I'm getting mad. I'm like, salesmen are liars, honey. You know, if they come up to you, just tell them if you want them, you know, you'll, you'll find them later on. And she's asking all these questions. I'm getting angrier and angrier. I'm like, why do you ask these guys the question? They're looking you right in the eye, and they're lying to you. And she said, well, if I ask enough people the same question... I'm going to hear the truth. I thought, man, she's brilliant. <laughs> she's brilliant. And, and, it's, and it's true. So you want to, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, the Bible says. So you want to find those people that you can, that you can disciple with, that you can find, hey, would you, can, can we just ask you, what did you do with your kids? Just tell us and, and write, take notes, study. All right, so we're talking about a plan for parenting. Training, discipleship, here's the third point. Establish a family roadmap. Establish a family roadmap. Let me read to you Proverbs 21.5. says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Now that word hasty in that, in that verse right there, super key, because basically what it means, it means to be pressed, to be rushed. Do you know as a parent how you can be pressed and you can be rushed with your kids? 
all the time. We're pressed and rushed, left and right. And, and so we, it is the full court press. And it's like, I need an answer right now. And, and mom, this is going on. And you become overwhelmed. And sometimes it, it's like we're being interrogated by a cop, you know, and it's it just answer, answer. And I'm tripping over my words and it, because it's hasty. It's rushed. It's, it's this thing that's being pressed on me. And, and so if you don't have a plan ahead of time, you will, you will be crushed in the moment. This is why when I was a firefighter, we would go out into our area and we would go up to a building that wasn't on fire so that we could figure out in the light of day, in the absence of a fire, in the absence of victims trapped, in the absence of, you know, collapsing things and so on, hey, how would we attack a fire if this thing caught on fire? And we did what's called pre-planning. Planning. And so this is this. Is this. They establish a family roadmap is planning. All right, now sharpen your pencils. Here we go. Let me tell you what we have in regards to this family roadmap because there's very specific things here. One is you need to, the big idea of this family planning is where you outline your goals for maturity for your family. And, and so the first thing that I would do is I would do what the ABCs of our family is and then I would do what the ABCs of our faith is. And, and so, again, the first idea, the ABCs of our family, this is the who we are and what we're all about. This is the big, the morals and values. Again, there's the wisdom of this age, and, and there's a way that seems right to a man, but the Bible says its end is the way of death. And so our big job with our kids is what we're trying to do. We want to instill within them a moral compass so that they can gauge the the choices of right and wrong for themselves so that when we take them off the leash, we can trust that they can make wise decisions. And, And so there's this needful part of the raising of your kids where you have to teach them, hey, these are the ABCs of our family. This is where we stand in, tr- in regards to our morals and our values. This is what the world says, but they say this is what the Bible says, and this is what we hold to, and this is why. Critically important. And, and again, the, the extension of that, the ABCs of our faith, that's, that's what we pray every Sunday. That's the application of our morals and values. That's the putting feet on your faith. This is where we say, hey, look, this is what the Bible says. This is why we're doing it. And the ABCs of our faith is this is how we do it. This is how we put feet on our faith. This is how we live it out. This is how we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. Critically important. And then the other part of of that that family roadmap is the ABCs of your follow-through. And this is huge. Let me just say this. Kids are born gamblers. They will bet the house that you will not follow through. And it's a good bet because most often you won't. Here's here's the issue, and, and... you know, the Bible says it's an enemy that multiplies kisses, but faithful are the wounds of a friend, which is a, which is a way of saying, look, the guys that tell you the truth that hurts you, they really love you the most. So, so with that in mind, let me, let me wound you. Men, chances are, ladies, you're not immune from this, that if your children are being disobedient, it's because you're lazy. There's a real good possibility of that. Because you haven't put the effort in to come up with a plan, and if you have come up with a plan, you ain't following through on it, and your kid's betting the house, knowing that you ain't going to follow through on it. And when you don't, they're like, you see, I don't, I don't really need to listen to mom. When she says stop it, she's gonna, just going to say stop it again. So I, so I really don't, don't need to do this. So, so the issue is, man, we need to have a follow through. So 
So this is, again, a tool for instilling personal responsibility and self-control. And the, the key to follow through is that you have to establish rules, you have to establish discipline, you have to establish punishment, and you have to be consistent about it. All right, let me give you a tool in that, because everybody goes, okay, that's great. How? This is going to be intensely practical. Again, you don't have to take this counsel. You do whatever you want. I'm just going to tell you what worked for me, all right? So, so what we did in our home is we wrote out the rules. They were written out. And, and then we also wrote out the written discipline that was associated with that. Let me tell you why we did that. Um, do you, have you ever told your kid, I, maybe those of you who raised your hand about church this morning, maybe you can identify with this, but we can all identify with this. You tell your kid something, and you've told them this 10,000 times, it's always a fight. You're like, I, I'm like, are you? Are, do you speak a different language? And you tell them, and then they look at you. They've got the audacity. They look you in the eye like it's the first time they ever heard it in their life. They're like, what? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, you know. And it just, we go through this with our kids. And so what we did, we came up with a list. Because there's, there's a truism, and, it, and it's universal throughout life. It's the 80-20 principle. And the, the 80-20 principle basically is this. We'll use church as an example. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. And, and that is a truism that holds out, okay? And, and so in your life, in your home, you've got issues that's a, that, that's, that these 20% of issues cause 80% of the problems in your home. They cause 80% of the fights in your home. So what we did was we said, what are the 10 things that we beat our heads against the wall again over and over and over with our kids? And so we just, and it was unique to our family, so we called it our top 10 list. Top 10 list, and everybody's got their own top 10 list. So when you download the top 10 list, which I'm hoping you go and you download it and you start implementing, I want you to personalize it and you make your own top 10 list. What are the 10 things that you fight about with your kids over and over and over again that they're disobedient on? What's the top 10 list? So you get it, you get it on there. And what you do is, is you know, you're going you're gonna to go over this with them. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And, and when you're done going over it, you have them sign it. And, and they keep a signed copy, and you keep a signed copy, and a signed copy goes up on the refrigerator. And, and, and so there it is. It's up on the refrigerator, and, and what it has is, you know, this, you know, let me, let me pull out from, me, from memory. What are one of the things in the top 10 list? Okay, for our kids, getting ready for school was like pulling teeth. I mean, I would be sitting out in the driveway waiting for the kids, and inevitably, you're supposed to be in the car at 8 o'clock, and, and I'm honking the horn, and I'm like, where are I? Get in the car, you know? And so finally, I just put it on the top 10 list. You will be in the car at 8 o'clock, ready for school. Lunch, homework, books, ready to pull out of the driveway, 8 o'clock. That's when you will be there. I don't want to fight about it anymore. And it was always a fight, like, what, what? It's... <laughs> Eight o'clock. How many? How long you been in school for crying out? Well, not long enough. Apparently, you need to come on. So, so, uh, so that was on the list. And then right underneath it, it was like you. You know, it said you will be in the car, ready to go, eight o'clock. And then it was the consequence right underneath it. Now, the consequence that brings us to the other written uh, sheet that I had, the rules, uh, or I'm sorry, rather the, the the discipline. And the discipline list we called thirty-one flavors. Here's why. Um, there's 31 days in, in most months. And so what I did is I just put 31 disciplines 
And it takes the guesswork out of it. Again, going back, when your kid pushes you to the edge where you become homicidal, you know that place? (laughs) And so immediately you're going to discipline them. It's just what comes to your mind. And so you blurt out some sort of of a punishment for them. You're grounded for the rest of your life. And the natural born gambler goes, he says, never following through on that. And you won't. Or you say, you've lost your phone for, you know, I told you not to call. That's one of the things maybe on your top 10. I told you. And, and so you don't have a discipline immediately handy. I'm taking your phone away forever. Well, you're not going to do that. Come on. And, and so what you need to have is a discipline that you will actually follow through on. So having the 31 flavor list, that gives you a thought-out discipline, so you don't even have to think about it. And here's how much you don't have to think about it. Your kid disobeys, they break one of the top 10, and you say, hey, what's the date today? And they already know where this is going if you've been following through. They're like, oh, what's the date today? It's the 17th. All right, 31 flavors. They go to the 17th, they're like, oh my gosh, I have to wash the dog. And we're like, ah, you gotta wash the dog. Which, which brings up an important principle. Here's the deal. I'm not a big fan of when you're going to discipline a child um, of doing something that, does, that has no value to the family. Like, okay, you're grounded for the rest of the week. Well, that doesn't really add value to the family. And here's the thing. When your child has been disobedient, my philosophy is you've robbed from the family. You've just taken from the family. You have just, in a sense, damaged the family. And so what I want you to do is I want your discipline to be something that adds value to the family. And so adding value to the family means you're washing my car, you're going to take out, you know, scrub all the garbage cans, whatever it was, that's what you're going to be doing. Something, and you have to find out what's painful for your kids because pain is a great motivator to have them, and I'm talking, you know, in the the metaphorical sense. So really important. So we would have the written rules and we would have the written discipline and that's how the system worked. And it works beautifully if you simply follow through. And again, it takes, the beautiful thing about this takes all of the, 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 the heated arguments out of the equation because it's, it, they can't, no more you're gonna have to deal with, that's not fair, you never told me that, what, why, what, what? You're like, you signed this, we talked about it, it's right there in black and white. There is no argument, as is the consequence. We, we, this is, this is how it works, honey. It's the, it's the 17th, and you're washing the dog. And by the way, I had in there written, included in the language, caveat, so it was like, you know, your kid, because they're, they're sneaky, you know, it's the 17th, and they look at the 31 flavors, and they go, wash the dog. Oh, the groomer was here yesterday. And I, I go, I reserve the right to change to any, anyone on the list anytime I want to. And what I would do is I would pay attention and find out the things that my kids hated doing, and I would say, that's my go-to. And I would, you know, frequently say, guess what? It's the 17th, but you're doing the second. And they're, oh, wash mom's car. And Brenda's like, yay, wash my car. So whatever it was. So, and we, we had fun with it. But, it. but here's the thing. It works, and it provides this incredible uh, consistency. Um, Let me move on and just talk about this meeting that you're going to have when you put this together. You have to have a meeting with your kids to to implement this system. Super important. There's two things I want to say to that. First of all, you need to prayerfully come up with your own family roadmap, just in the, the way that I've discussed. 
You need to be able to come up with your own, and then you need to meet with your wife before you have the family meeting. And this harkens back to what we were talking about last week. Your wife is not a a potted plant in the relationship. She's not just there for decoration. She's a needful part uh, uh, of your marriage and of the the wisdom that you're going to have. And, And so what you need to do is together... Men, you gotta be, you gotta be a man, and you gotta have a plan, and you gotta meet with your wife and say, alright. I've prayed about this, and this is my plan. And then you have to allow your wife to kind of mark up that plan to be able to speak into it, not to veto it, because that's not her role, but she has to, you guys got to be a unified front. Because here's something else about kids. Not only are they natural-born gamblers, but that the whole military concept of divide and conquer, did you know it was taken from kids, right? I doubt it, but it, they could have been because they know that they will divide and conquer you, and so you guys got to be unified. You got to be on the same page. So, so you, you have to come up with a plan, and then you got to meet with your wife. You have the meeting before the meeting. You go through this, and you say, okay, is this what we're going to do? Yes. All right. Now you've got it. Now you've got your plan. You've got an agreement. Your wife, or you and your wife are unified. Now you call your family meeting. And I'll just say, just very quickly on this issue of family meeting, we'll move on. The idea of, of family meeting when you get your kids all together Especially, this is especially true if you have junior hires or high schoolers. They will act like they're put out by the family meeting. They'll be like, oh, gee whiz, you know, here, you know, this is family meeting. But if you look behind what they say on the outside, inwardly, they're thrilled. They're absolutely thrilled when you guys get together and have a family meeting. And what you're going to do is, you, and you have to have this family meeting because you have to get everybody on the same page and go, okay, here's what we're doing. And that's why it starts with, look, this is the ABCs of us. This is, this is who we are. We, we love Jesus Christ. We follow him. We serve the Lord. We're called to honor him. We're going to live our lives according to the Bible because it's the compass of life. And here's what that means practically to you. We're going to expect you that you're going to honor the Lord as well. You're going to honor us. You're going to have a moral compass instilled in you. You're going to be open for correction because if you're not, the Bible says you're stupid. And so this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. You explain to them the discipline list. You explain to them, you know, the, the, the top 10 list, you know, and, and you explain the whole system to them. And, and then, man, Let's talk about the process, okay? Second point, process of parenting. We've been talking about the plan for parenting. I'm going to talk to you, finish up, talking to you about the process of parenting. First thing is you actually have a plan. We just spent 20 minutes talking about that, all right? Let's go to the second point, make corrections as needed. Here's what you need to understand. No matter what plan you have, no matter how many meetings you've had with your wife and you meet with your kids, what you're going to find is it's going to take you a few months to make some subtle uh, corrections to your plan some subtle adjustments. There will be corrections that need to to be made. And so you need to make the corrections as needed. You need to be prepared for them. Uh, Because what will happen is a lot of people will, they'll try and implement it. They'll have problems. They go, well, this doesn't work. Well, that just feeds right into your kids' natural gambling capacity to go, they ain't going to follow through. They got no follow through. They got no game. It's not going to happen. I'll wait them out. No, you you say, okay, I got a plan for making adjustments. So there's that. The other thing is in this process of parenting, man, you have to follow through. You have to follow through. You have to stick to the plan. It only works if you stick to the plan. And so you have to be consistent with this. And again, I just remind you, why are we, how are we here? Fathers, do not provoke your children. Don't exasperate your children. If you don't have a plan that you stick to that's consistent, you will exasperate your children. Uh, 
this is this next point super important. As your kids grow, give them room to reason. Okay? Here's what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that as your kids get older that they can talk you out of stuff. You know, in, in the sense of, uh, you know, they can... How do I want to say this? It, it doesn't mean that you're compromising in terms of, you know, the, the issues with your kids. What it means is that if your children, and this is what we did in our house, if my children could sit down and have a conversation with Brenda and I where they honored us and they respected us, but they respectfully disagreed and they were able to say, I respectfully disagree and here is why, and we would have a conversation about it, I would be open to listen to them. And if you don't do this, what's going to happen? It goes back to what I was saying earlier about people living their lives in the extreme. And, and what happens is I see it all the time. Guys are, are authoritative, authoritative, authoritative thugs. And, and, and so the, the, here they are, this authoritarian parent who basically says, I don't care what your argument is. And you'll frustrate a kid. You'll absolutely frustrate them. You'll crush them. They, they will lose respect for you. And you're not equipping them. To, to, to be obedient. And so you, you need to allow your kids to grow up and become adults and have thoughtful, you know, insights and, and some reasonable debates. And so that's super important. Um, I want to close on this point. Love your kids and enjoy them. Love them and enjoy them. And that might sound really like, duh. No, I, peop, we lose sight so often that there are seasons to life. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Guys, listen to me. You will wake up tomorrow and your kids will be getting married. You'll wake up tomorrow and they'll be off to school. It happens that fast. Everybody told me that and in the days when my kids were just bringing me to the place where I was suicidal or homicidal, I didn't believe it. And some of you, you're in that season of life right now and you can't catch a break. And, and I just say this, I just say this in closing, we'll be done. Several months ago, I preached a message about the last times. Maybe you remember it. And what I shared is that we always remember the first times, first words, the first steps. But the last times, they just sneak by. We never see them. When I used to take my kids to Halama, I, would, I used to carry all three of them on my shoulders, you know, and we had this system, and I'd throw them up on my shoulder. We'd, I, I can't remember the last time I walked my kids on the beach. I wish I could. It was a big part of what we did. I can't remember. Last time you put a Band-Aid on your kid's cut. You know, last time you put a Band-Aid on their teddy bear. The last time you push them in a swing. They sneak by. And there are seasons to life. And what we need to understand as parents is that we need to cherish every moment and we need to do everything that we can to take care of what's been entrusted to us because they're precious. We say we would walk through fire for our kids. We need to walk through the fire of life today as good stewards. To whom much is given, the Bible says, much is required.